podcast this week, we see in 2017 with a series of fortunate events as Neil Patrick Harris drops by to tell us about the new Lemony Snicket TV show, plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that asked Santa for some great new Adam Sandler films this year. He said, Chris, I can deliver presents to billions of children across the world a single night, but come on. Keep it real. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, the first of the new year. Very, very exciting. Hope you had a cracking Christmas and hootenanny, folks. Uh, joining me this week, this year, this week, this year, this week, are three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek queen, a lady who changed her name by deed poll over Christmas, I'm reliably informed. Please welcome Hamilton O'Hamilton. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you, Chris. Hello. Yeah, what were you formerly known as? I was formerly Helen O'Winchester. <laughs> wow, that's so <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. But now you're Hamilton O'Hamilton. Hamilton O'Hamilton. Oh, Did you watch I'm Hamilton like... over Christmas? Uh, I, no, I didn't fly to New York to see Hamilton over Christmas. Call yourself a fan. I know. Sorry. Uh, next up, making his customary annual appearance on the podcast, is our man in L.A., the mysterious stranger they know only as Jaime Blanco, or also his real name, James White. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am very well, apparently. Yes, <laughs> apparently? Uh, I've been away for two weeks, and I just don't know. I've, I've, been, I've been up north in Sheffield visiting uh, my mother's homeland, and uh, I, I basically slept and read books. So That's I don't good. actually know how I am because I don't know what's going on. That's good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do anything Hamilton related? Uh, I listened to it a lot, and really? I got the Alexander Hamilton biography for Christmas, Ooh. and I read all eight hundred pages. Wow. Good yeah. Book. That's. It's a good book. It's a very good book. Okay. It's recommended. Right. Okay. I'm not on commission. <laughs> and last, but by no means least, making her full, full pod debut, because she's just blurred in and out now and again, uh, is our boss. The editor-in-chief of Empire, please be upstanding for the one, the only, Terry White. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. Excellent. Did you do anything Hamilton-related over Christmas? By Hamilton, do you mean Bailey's? <laughs> because, yes, I did lots yes. of Hamilton. That's what I, I did a whole fat of Hamilton, if you're asking. I did two whole litre bottles of Hamilton, <laughs> if that's what you're asking. Is this over the course of a single night, or was this over the two, course of Christmas? Two days. I'm not an animal. Okay. This was an interesting Christmas for you because this is the first time uh, you embraced Christmas in your whole yes. life, isn't this? Isn't this true? This is true, and thank you for bringing it up so yeah, publicly. I'm glad. I'm, so uh, I'd never really enjoyed Christmas. I'd refused to have a Christmas tree. Yeah. Um, I'd also been single for five and a half years, but I don't think those things are related <laughs> at all. And this year, I decided to go full Christmas, which included getting kind of an eight. No, maybe 10-foot Christmas tree. Um, the dream. Yes, and which is still in my flat because I'm refusing to take it out and accept that it's over. Um, I've now become so attached to Christmas that I was listening to Frozen on the tube at full volume on the way in this morning, um, which was interesting when I realised the rest of the carriage could hear it. And I um, continue to enjoy Hamilton. Not right now or before this part. Am I the only person in this room who hasn't actually heard the Hamilton soundtrack? I think you're yes. not, as we've just established. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I thought I thought Terry had. I thought, you know, it was a double bluff. No. Double bluff. Okay. Just fr- just frozen in. Just frozen. I listened to the Frozen soundtrack as well over Christmas, because I, I have it in final. Um, <laughs> really? Because yeah. if you're trying to sound like a cool hipster, like, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Let me explain. Uh, I, my wife... Yes. Drinky drinking. game. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she's a huge fan of Frozen. And uh, we have a final player, a turntable, mm-hmm. and so uh, there's a there's a frozen picture disc 
LP. I see. Okay. I see. So I bought it for her as a present, but then we watched Frozen on Christmas Day. Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> uh, not when it was on BBC One. No, 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 no. What we did was we forgot it was on BBC One. So then my wife uh, said, oh, I, need, I want to watch Frozen as our big Christmas Day movie after, obviously, Captain America Civil War. And uh, so we had to download it for seven English pounds. So thanks a lot. So anyway, so then I had Frozen going through my head and I found the picture disc and I put it on and I thought this will make a great story in the podcast. <laughs> uh, did you know that it's also, it plays at 45 RPM? So, which, so if you put it on 33 RPM, it's like, which is really great. Okay. So you keep it on. So there oh, we go. Right. Happy oh. Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. Right, we have some questions. Okay, here's a question, and this is from Abigail Whittall uh, at Crimes at H Blog on Twitter. Will you be carrying forth... Oh, I like that. Will you be carrying forth any film-related New Year's resolutions, she asks. Well, will we? Will you? I will. So I was thinking about this, and I have a terrible habit um, with films, which is if I really like a film... I will watch it approximately 323 times. And what I've realised is I spend too many of my film-watching hours watching films I've already seen. So, for example, I think I've seen True Romance about 70-plus times. Ooh. And I think we've already wow. discussed in the office that I've seen Rocky Four over 150 times. Rocky Four. Rocky Four specifically. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the whole Rocky franchise many, many times, but particularly Rocky IV. Um, and I think that's just such a waste of brilliant kind of film-free time. So I'm trying to, to kind of have a cap, and I think 25 times is the maximum <laughs> that I should watch any film or re-watch any film. What do you think? Uh, I, I think that sounds good. I think paving the way for new experiences is uh, a good way to go. Mm. Yeah. Wow, over 150 times. I went. I had a, like a once a week thing, kebab, Rocky Four. It was like a date night thing with an ex I had that, but just without the Rocky Four. <laughs> Rocky Four makes it all the better. <laughs> Try imagine. it tonight, Chris. <laughs> I can imagine it would. I can imagine it would. Uh, wow, 150 times. I had a friend who used to um, just watch Superman 2 relentlessly. Oh, no, it wasn't me. On a loop, he would, he would come back slightly the worst for wear and he would put on Superman 2 as his comfort viewing to mm. get to sleep at full volume so no one else could get to sleep but <laughs> hey ho no names it's all good uh, I, I don't have a resolution although I should probably do the same and re-watch things I already know I love less and watch new things more because there's so many movies and I feel guilty that I haven't seen more of them I would like to do the 52 films by women thing so it's a, a yes. film a week by a female director uh, it, it does seem like it would require some organisation, which obviously <clears throat> is a bit of a problem. But it seems like an extremely worthwhile thing to do at the same mm. time. So I'm, I'm, I might, I might try and do that a bit. Uh, my resolution is uh, there are an awful lot of big events, especially in Los Angeles, that let you get out and mingle with other film people. There's screenings in the Forever uh, Hollywood screenings in uh, the Hollywood Forever uh, Cemetery in LA. And yeah, just go hang out in the called, cemetery. Well, it's, it's fun times, you know, quiet yeah. neighbourhood. I mean, it worked for Buffy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <it did. laughs> And um, so uh, there's, there's a thing called Street Food Cinema where they put up a giant inflatable screen in a park and then big uh, food trucks all the way around so you can like snack on everything there's all sorts of foods that you can have while you're watching whatever old movie like Ghostbusters or Rocky Horror Picture Show something like that and I want to go and do more of that stuff I want to just sit in on my sofa watching TV being like a complete loner I want to go out and be social <laughs> and mingle with people even though it's terrifying 
Yeah. Yeah, other, aren't other people awful? Isn't that kind of the big flaw in your plan? <laughs> For the most part, I'm trying to find the ones who aren't. Oh, you know, yes. maybe I'll find the diamonds in the rough. Film's you know, a good filter just, for that. All right, Jafar. Yeah, yeah. Because I figure if I go along to a film that I love, I'll probably find other sensible human beings who like the same film and are therefore not mm. as awful. Maybe I yeah. can personally attest to James White. Jaime Blanco is a good guy. That's very nice. You should say hello to him if you see him in the street. Yeah. Hashtag Blanco Fest. You should you should have your own Blanco. Marathon, Nick, your own screening program, your own viewing thing. I, I think that would be Festival. a very good idea. I just yeah. hope people want to watch Ghostbusters 73 times. <laughs> Not Terry. No. 25 no. a night. No, yeah. 25. That's it. You won't get me that way. That's it. What's the last film you watched loads? What was the last film you got evangelical about and watched it just... Uh, 373 the, times. The Greasy Strangler. Apart from the Greasy Strangler, which you watched about four times? I've, I've seen five times now. Five times, yes. okay. In, in, the space of, in the space of, what, nine months? That's not a lot, right? No, that's fine. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's kind of that's where I am with... Sort of- Captain America Civil, Civil War. War. Yeah, which I may have watched twice over the Christmas period. It's it's I mean it's fine. And it's the, okay. These allegations that I saw more as the Winter Soldier again first. I mean, I don't know where these things come from. It was on the television, yeah, in fairness. Um although uh, you probably watched the Blu-ray. <laughs> you probably actually had to dig it out of your colour coded um shelves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think it fit the truth there. I think it fit the truth. Uh <laughs> so what was the Greasy Strangler? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. The most recent. Blanco? Uh, the most recent one I've watched a lot is probably The Martian. Really? Because I really love it. Yeah. I really, really, really love that film to an embarrassing degree. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't know why. Well, Space oh, Nerd. It's great. Space Nerd. Such a good movie. Hells Bells? Uh, Wilder People, probably, actually. Really? Yeah. How many times? Um, well, I've only seen it... Uh, uh, four times. Oh, you're letting the side down. But I've been I've been evangelical about it on a whole other scale. You have literally every person I've met, I think, since May when I saw it, has received a lecture on why they need to see Hunt for the Wilder People. And this is not news to anyone listening to the podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, probably Civil War for me. Someone I've seen most in the last year, but for work reasons. Yeah, of course. <laughs> work reasons oh my resolution my resolution I don't really make resolutions but I saw a lot of people on Twitter this year uh, making resolutions to watch more new films as you've you've said Mark Cousins the filmmaker and host of former host of Movie Drum uh, I read a piece from him about uh, two years ago where he said that uh, it's a very very good thing to try and watch three films every week that you haven't seen before just trying to broaden your horizons Mm. so I I said to myself okay as of Jan 1st I'm going to do that and I have failed Fucking spectacularly! It's I just have, I haven't seen yet. a film in 2017. As we record this, the week is not yet over. This is true. So this fine. is true. But I'm, I'm pretty busy, so I don't think Chris, I'm going to be able time. to make it work. Come on, you can do it. This year's a write-off. <laughs> I think new genres is good because I've been I've yeah. been I was assessing over the Christmas and New Year period the genres that I always avoid, and I think I need to watch more westerns. Me too. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Westerns are good. Yeah. Absolutely. Some of the classics I have not seen, and I really should. Mm. Okay, horror films also, I would recommend. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot more probably of the horror genre than I have of the western. Yes. Yeah, I must admit I have um, something of a uh, blind spot for films that don't star Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to get on that. 
need to start doing that alright okay so that was it that was your question thank you very much indeed if you do want to send your, your question into the Empire Podcast and have it treated with the respect it deserves then you can do so via Twitter where we're at Empire Magazine use the hashtag please Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well if that's your bag podcast at empireonline.com okay so now it is time to discuss movie news and I think there's only really one place we can start and that is with the the terrible news, of course, that Carrie Fisher passed away just after Christmas. Uh, suffered a heart attack, as we know, before Christmas. Um, and then she passed away just shortly after Christmas. And then the next, the next day, the very mm. next day, her mother, the great uh, Debbie Reynolds, also passed away. Um, huge, huge losses. Terry. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of extraordinary, really, because I think it's obviously been a year when we've said goodbye to a lot of musical and film icons. And um, it was, I mean, I actually found out because you texted me, I remember, um, and I turned my phone on and you texted me and I went straight to Twitter. And at that point, it seemed like hopefully um, Carrie would recover because she'd obviously had Mm. a massive heart attack Mm -hmm. while travelling. And it seemed as if hopefully she would make a recovery. So I think it was just such a blow when it actually happened. Obviously, 60 is absolutely no age at all. Um, And just she's, she's such a vibrant, spirited person you know especially when when you see a lot of actors these days coming up and and you see her and she was such a character and had such an amazing and varied body of work as both an actor and a writer mm. when you see her contribution um to the film world um and to literature as well i just think she was an extraordinary person i think it was a real body blow i have to say it was a real really really difficult thing i think for everybody whether you love film or or however your relationship with her was, I think it was a really, really difficult thing for everyone to take and it was a true, true shock. And I think it's a huge, huge loss to the film world. It really is. Mm. It felt like she was just getting started again yeah. in some ways. I mean, the... Um the Force Awakens press tour was what, just watching that was one of the great joys of the last couple of years in film because she was so consistently hilarious. We saw her obviously in a huge room at Star Wars Celebration Europe earlier this year and she had basically the whole place in stitches. But yeah, it's it's hard to kind of contemplate, you know, a Carrie mm. Fisherless Hollywood. Because yeah. mm. she, she treated the whole thing with, you know, a sense of fun. And and it was a game, and you know we can we can get very head up about movies, and we can treat them very very seriously, especially when we do what we do for a living. Uh, and it can feel like a matter of life and death. And when she was on stage in Star Wars Celebration, I, uh, not just the one that, that last year, but also the one I went to in Germany, in Essen, in Germany, where she was on stage with Warwick Davis, and just when brought her dog on Gary Fisher, who's just this adorable little French bulldog, who has his own Twitter account and. And just treats the whole thing with an, an astonishing lack of respect, which just, which just made me laugh. Um, and she was so much fun. And Helen and I, we did a back and forth uh, discussion about her uh, by Carrie Fisher for the website. And there's just so much more to her than the Star Wars. I mean, everything comes back to Star Wars. And we discussed Carrie Fisher and her Star Wars legacy on yeah. our uh, Rogue One Spider special podcast. If you want to go and check it, check it out, it's about 20 minutes uh, talking about her there. But there was so much more to her than Star Wars as she says as a as an actor as a writer so you know she maybe didn't have the role post Leia that defined her in the way that obviously Harrison Ford 
uh, found with with numerous uh, characters. Mm. But she was great, and she would pop up in stuff like The Burbs and The Blues Brothers when Harry met Sally, and she had great uh, supporting roles in the likes of Catastrophe most recently, that great you know, Channel 4 sitcom. Yeah. And uh, 30 Rock, she was Emmy nominated for that as well. And she was just someone who had such such life about her and, uh, and such a, a twinkle in her eye. Um, I fell down a rabbit hole recently of watching her appearances with on the Craig Ferguson chat show. She just she would you know he, she was one of his regular recurring guests yeah. and if you've never seen Craig Ferguson he uh, James Corden now hosts the Late Late Show is that right Blanco um, and it, Craig Ferguson did it for ten years and he's just for my money the best chat show host I've ever seen really really funny really smart really knowledgeable put his guests at ease and if they if he liked them and they liked him they would just come back and it was just a, a wonderful thing to watch so go on YouTube there's about seven or eight. 10 minute segments where she would come on his show and they would just have the time of their lives together uh, it's great stuff I, I think When Harry Met Sally worth, is worth a particular mention because her she gets m- like a, a large percentage of the best lines in that movie despite obviously being the best friend character which is usually a really thankless role um but but she you know her her sort of disastrous love life in the early bit of the movie in comparison to to Sally's is just amazing you know the when she finds out a, a guy she has to date is married and she just folds down the corner of his business card in her in her uh, Rolo decks, you know, because you never know. You never know. You might not want to lose the contact. She really. T- I saw it um, New Year's Eve. I went to see it at Prince Charles when Harry met Sally. Oh, wow. And obviously, you really look for those carry moments, and, and you'd yeah. appreciated them before. But when you yeah. reconsider them, and there's a the bit, you know, she's trying on the wedding dress, and um, Sally is trying to find out about Harry's new girlfriend, and she goes, "Oh, you know, thin, pretty, big tits, your basic nightmare." And just her delivery is so note perfect. Mm. It's yeah. it's remarkable. I think you're absolutely right. I think she's absolutely. Special spectacular in that film and, and from a comedic point of view has all of oh, the it's singers so good. yeah you're right you're right i know you're right yeah, yeah. just so good he's never gonna leave her <laughs> nobody thinks he's ever gonna leave her no he's never gonna leave her <laughs> a blanco yeah and uh you know off screen she's developed this huge career as a script doctor she's incredibly funny she's incredibly witty she's incredibly quick her brain seemed to work at a million miles an hour and there are so many movies you just don't realise that she had little things to do with she just would punch up scripts everywhere and never got any credit for it you know it's it's fantastic it's interesting because she she was Postcards from the Edge is a great film a really good screenplay uh, wasn't Oscar nominated that year I looked at the other films that at, at that year and I was like oh that's a really strong year <laughs> that's a strong year but it's a really really good screenplay and it was the only produced screenplay that she had and I wonder if she didn't want to pursue that anymore and whether she was just happy doing script doctoring mm-hmm. um, and then as you say you know, had this great second act and you could just feel you know, she was comfortable in her skin because I think she probably went through that period that Mark Hamill went through as well where mm, Star Wars you re- uh, it's a bit of a millstone around my neck I don't really don't want to talk about it but I think she towards you know yeah, seems weird to say this but towards the end she was definitely she'd made peace with, with Leia oh 100% yeah. I think definitely um and I think, you know, she obviously had her, her very well publicised uh, by her uh, battles with with alcohol, mm-hmm. with substances, uh, with, you know, her own um, bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had found a new equilibrium through that, um, which is just an astonishing achievement in itself, I think. Um, and, and Debbie Reynolds as well. We have, I mean, the last of the Singing in the Rain crew, uh, you know, core, core cast. Um, that we had with us. I mean, she was just such an incredible presence on screen. Um, off screen, she was an incredible advocate for LGBT rights. Um, 
She was an incredible performer. I never saw her live, but you know, any anything anyone who did never forgot it. Um, and and just such a force of nature. She was also uh, really instrumental in in saving a lot of kind of film memorabilia. She bought a lot of film costumes. I think she owns one of the original Dorothy dresses. Or oh did. wow, really? You know, so so she she had this role in kind of keeping old Hollywood alive, actually, which I think is 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 wonderful. And I wanted to mention that there is uh, a documentary about the both of them mm. called Bright Lights that was originally going to go on the air, I think, in May this year and has been brought forward as a tribute to both of them. I think it's airing in the States this weekend. It'll be in the UK on Tuesday, mm-hmm. I think, on Sky Atlantic. And it's a really personal sort of behind-the-scenes look at their lives together. They explore their relationship. They talk about, you know, both of their lives, that they've gone through everything they go through now, the fact that uh, Debbie Reynolds was really worried about ageing and some of the struggles she'd had with that, Carrie's struggle with her own mental health and how their bond had changed over the years but it always seemed to be really close-knit and it, it just looks fantastic. It looks like an amazing little documentary and a nice tribute to them, I think. Mm. I must see. I must see. So uh, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds who passed away just before the new year. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some movie news. Not a lot it's happened. Hollywood's a bit slow to wake up, but there is some stuff around, isn't there, Hills Bells? Yeah, there's a few stories. Um, uh, Ryan Gosling mm. uh, is obviously in the conversation a lot right now because of La La Land, um, which I guess we'll be talking about next week. Um, but he's lined up in another job. Uh, he's obviously working on Blade Runner, uh, the sequel at the moment, um, but he is going to reteam with his La La Land uh, director, Damien Chazelle, uh, to play Neil Armstrong. Um, so Chazelle is doing a biopic of the first man on the moon called First Man and uh, and Gosling is up for the role so he's apparently always been the favourite for this one but they were worried about uh, sort of scheduling because he has got Blade Runner and stuff coming up but uh, it looks like it's all been worked out and that's going to go ahead wow. I don't think he's a bad fit for Neil no. Armstrong actually no, he'll, be, he'll be alright do you think it'll be a stretch Armstrong? <laughs> <laughs> thanks Chris thank you um, yeah, I think no. I think he'll be. I think he'll be good. I think uh, you know he'll have to explain how Neil Armstrong muddled his first line on the moon, but you know that's fine. Um, isn't, isn't it that uh, wasn't the 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 transmission goes over the bit? Really? That's, okay. That's one story I read. Okay. But then again, that's if you believe they landed on the moon in the first place. I don't know. I do. All seems wa- like a load of fancy special effects to me. I've watched the dish, so I believe it. Yeah, I believe Sam Neil. Yeah, Anything Sam Neill says, he's a man who plants his feet in the ground, looks you in the eye and tells you the truth. Exactly. Which means he's the Antichrist. What? No. What? Hang on a second. No. Anyway. This has gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ryan Gosling. Well done him. Yeah, hooray. Hooray for Neil Armstrong. Hooray. Uh, what else? What else has happened? What el- well, there's what else? a couple of Sylvester Stallone stories. Oh, Now, yes. first and least surprising is that he's announced a fourth Expendables film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already forgotten the third, so of course that this is the best for, one. Is it? Yeah. Which was the which was the third? There's the one with Harrison Ford and Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> <laughs> Legendary. <laughs> one of these things is not like the rest of the cast. Um, it's it's the one where um, the the old Expendables come together to fight the the threat that's greater than them. That one. That okay. One. Yeah. yeah. Well, he that. says. He says it's going to be great, fingers crossed, we're going to do our best, and I think we've got some really great <laughs> attitude going. That's, that doesn't look very confident. You know, we're, we're going to do our best, we're going to try, but I'm not well, promising anything. There's even an even more worrying line here, which is, I think everyone's expecting something different, and we're going to give it to them. 
it's like, so you're going to give everyone something different? How many cuts of this film are there going to be? It's I'm, I'm excited about it. Something I, hey, I mean, could mean anything. Could I've mean enjoyed coherent at least parts of all of them. So, yeah. you know, if, if Terry Crews and Dolph Lundgren could just like step up a little bit towards the four, I think I'd have more fun. How many expendables can you name? What, like characters? Characters. Lee Christmas. Lee Christmas, one. I've only seen 10 minutes of the first one. And you've seen Rocky Four 157 <laughs> times. I will defend that until my dying breath. Uh, Dear Lord. Hang on. Uh, these are not in the same class as Rocky Four. No. Well, no, that's why I lasted 10 minutes. And the thing is, as this, I wasn't into it as the sum of their parts, but individually, I'm into them all. But just yeah. to get, I just don't call me crazy I don't buy it yeah mm. yeah. It, 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 the, the films don't tend to work they haven't the, the film that's in my head when I first heard about The Expendables has not been put on the screen yet so maybe this will be it maybe this will be this it this could be it yeah. I mean I my, my problem is especially in the second one I had the sense that everybody's agent hammered out the script to make sure they had an equal number of lines or cool moments and it, it felt distracting but you know that's obviously very cynical on my part mm. and, and I hope for the best I, I actually did my third one third one with Mel Gibson as Conrad Stonebanks the uh, the bad guy <laughs> you actually remember their names <laughs> I remember the names uh, who's, I was who having, does Stallone play uh, Stallone plays Barney Ross oh, uh, Lee Christmas Terry Crews is Hail Caesar how can you forget that <laughs> uh, what's the guy uh, Randy Newman what's his name Randy Randy Newman <laughs> <laughs> Randy Newman is tall roll going hey everybody what are you doing um, I'm an expendable you've got an expendable in me <laughs> Randy Randy Piper Randy no Roddy 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 Piper he's a big guy muscles yes, he, guy. he does have right. he's got ears yeah, yeah he does that's not oh, really no necessarily narrowing it down with the expendables I can, I can remember muscles. his character name but I can't remember the actor's name what does that tell you uh, and then of course there was uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme as <laughs> As Jean Villain. <laughs> Jean Villain. <laughs> he was the villain of the piece. His name was Villain. Uh, if the films had that tone, it'd be great. There's it Church Dolph and Trench. Dolph Lundgren is Gunnar Jensen. Gunnar Jensen. Oh. Yeah. Is, there one, is there one called Thunderclap Jensen? <laughs> no, there's Gunnar, there's Gunnar Jensen. Jackknife. Jack, is there Jackknife? No. Uh, who there knows? Jeremy. <laughs> uh, Jet Li, of course, plays Ying Yang. And that, uh, <laughs> and that says it all. Right, so what, what else do we have in Sylvester Stallone news? Uh, the other news is that he's going to work, uh, and this makes less sense in terms of car- ca- casting people next to each other. He's going to work with Adam Driver. So it's an adaptation of an army memoir called Tough As They Come. So this is uh, it was written by Travis Mills. It was a huge bestseller, and it, it tells about his life as one of only five soldiers to survive a quadruple amputation after a battlefield injury. So he was caught in an IED blast um, around his 25th birthday. Staff Sergeant Mills uh, thought he'd be a statistic dealing with artificial arms and legs, obviously, and uh, struggled through rehabilitation. And it's a story about him, kind of his relationship with his father-in-law, who's called Craig Buck, um, who sort of, I guess, helped him helped him through this whole process. So the idea is that Stallone would play Buck and, um, and Driver would play Mills. It's, I mean, like Stallone can act. We know this. Uh, Creed, obviously, is the most recent example of it. Um, mm-hmm. 
it does feel like a weird combination of energies, though, right? It just it, re- it really does because tonally they're just so far apart, and I'm a huge fan of them both separately, but for very different reasons. So I think Adam Driver is a remarkable actor and just has such a weird, awkward, super compelling on-screen presence. I think he's unlike anybody else really working today. Even when you look at what he did with Girls, and you look at those really early episodes of Girls, he's just absolutely stunning and he he's one of those people you just can't take your eyes off and you can't really understand why and he does everything in a really subtle nuanced weird way he's really textured I think he's incredibly interesting and then you know still out and I always go back to Rocky I hate to bring up Rocky again but you know when and I mean don't you love to bring up Rocky let me just talk about Rocky 4 again but maybe not Rocky 4 because that wouldn't really further my argument but the original Rocky obviously which was very much him and he gave I think a really interesting performance in the original Rocky and he can act and he can work behind the camera I think people forget this about him and I think you know he 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 hammered out the original Rocky script in his garage with gaffer tape over the windows when he was you know just a a jobless guy trying to get his break I think he's probably um history maybe doesn't treat him that well always Stallone but I just think where they are right now and where Stallone is I think maybe he's in a slightly different place because of Creed I think that kind of repositioned him for a lot of people obviously he he didn't direct that one and he moved straight more into the acting role and I think um, Ryan Coogler got something quite interesting out of him um, but yeah just I'm trying to keep get my head around exactly if, if Stallone is directing and starring what kind of performance he's going to be trying to get out of Adam Driver um, and how they will exist together on screen as a partnership which at the moment I can't really get my head around it is it is a bit of a yeah I, I, yeah I, I'm having exactly the same issue I think also I wonder uh, and this is slightly more flippant but only slightly uh, Adam Driver was a Marine. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the army will be cross that he's playing an army guy. Inter-service <laughs> rivalries, man. There's nothing to mess with. So but It means he can do a combat role without needing any training. That's true. He doesn't have to go to boot camp. No. That's good. So, yeah, that is a film that is actually happening. I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, they're both good actors, so you know, we've got to kind of hope for the best there. Um, Randy Couture. Randy Couture. I'm so glad you got there in the end. I had to Google it. <laughs> hey, uh, we did talk about Star Wars earlier. We should talk about uh, Han Solo, a Star Wars story or whatever mm-hmm. it's going to be called, um, which has a new cast member this week. And that is Woody Harrelson is in talks, apparently, to play Han Solo's mentor. Yeah, It's it's kind of tough to imagine Han Solo having a mentor. I mean, is 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 this like his, his scallywag mentor? Is this is sort of like the guy who taught him to be a, a smuggler, a hustler, a, a guy, you know... But if you think about right, think about Woody Harrelson's degree of kind of chilledness, I feel like that's actually quite logical as a mentor to Han Solo. Like his just his <laughs> his degree of kind of drolly, yeah. it's going to be cool, man, kind of attitude. I, I, yeah. That kind of has a ring of rightness to it. I hope he's a mentor in the way that Roy Munson is a mentor to Randy Quaid in Kingpin. That's <laughs> that's my hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Hell, if he's playing Roy Munson in space, then I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> everything, everything we've learned about this film, the directors, the cast, has got me more and more excited. So yes, it's really not? annoying me. I did not want to be excited <laughs> about this film, man. <sighs> 
it's good. And uh, Rogue One did really well, didn't it? Over yeah, it's up to Christmas I think eight hundred million worldwide. Mm. Um, so that's a, a spectacular result for a film. Did not that, see that coming. Yeah, that, well, it's, I mean, it is still a spectacular result for a film that is a little bit of a risk because it's you know obviously no one was quite clear. I think even a couple of months out, you'd, you'd see lots of tweets from people who had no idea why John Boyega wasn't on the poster. You know, they were just mm. really confused about the whole premise of the film, mm. and and yet in eighteen days it's made over 800 million worldwide so it looks like a you know pretty pretty good shot at a billion dollars mm-hmm. I would say and uh, that takes it into one of the top films of the year so hooray for that it's also again I mean Disney man uh, Captain America Civil War Finding Dory Zootropolis Jungle Book and three of them grossed over a billion so what a year the other studios going can we have a, can we have a go please <laughs> can, we, can we have a ball back I think it I think it bodes really well for the um, kind of spin-offs or the origin stories that's yeah. come because I think as as you were saying I was in LA when the first uh, Rogue One trailer dropped and I went to a diner and there was a guy behind the counter desperately trying to work out where Ray was in the trailer and he was like but that girl she she was a different girl right but where's where's that Ray girl and, and that other guy where's that Finn where's Finn and they were trying to get, and one of them who clearly thought he was more educated than the rest was like well I think you'll find this is uh, the origin story and, and they were trying to work it out amongst themselves and they had no real concept of where this fit in the Star Wars universe um, why it wasn't part of it being a main chapter and I think that's something um, Disney have probably done really well in terms of putting these out and finding an audience for them um, you know Force Awakens was massive but it was a huge mass market film that yeah. if you had no knowledge of the Star Wars universe you could find an entry point to and you could love it and you could enjoy it um, I think the concern was always with these spin-off um, films that actually do you need to be a hard- hardcore Star Wars fan and how many mm. of those exist will that be enough to make it for example the biggest film of the year so I think you know as the next 10 years are pretty much the decade of Star Wars I think it it bodes really well for how the rest of them now roll out over that time period definitely very exciting stuff indeed see what happens in the future Uh, you see the story just very very quickly about Kevin Costner says he's he's working on a a western he wants to direct another western it's about 10 hours long is that a is that a movie or is that a TV series it's a a movie he says maybe I'll make three features out of it there's a fourth one too so it's truly a saga I could do TV or I could just make I film every six months. I have a big western that's tied together like Chant de Florette and uh, Man on Day Source. Uh, Ooh, that, good model. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, there's a, you want to watch more westerns. Can Kevin Costner's making them. Do you think he will cast Gerard Depardieu in a key role? <laughs> I did, no. Oh. <laughs> I think. Daniel O'Toy? I would accept him. Y- yes. No? Yes, hooray. Daniel O'Donnell? <laughs> now that's. <laughs> now you're amazing. talking. <laughs> Me mammy loves the westerns. <laughs> Great. I think after Criminal, I I hope Kevin Costner does something good next. Else, <laughs> hey guys, what would it sound like if Daniel O'Donnell and Randy Newman were in the same? No, no, um, <laughs> oh, no. yes, uh, no, no. Uh, should we talk one last bit of movie news? Uh, and this it's time for the hard sell because the new issue of Empire went on sale. When did they go on sale? December 29th. December 29th. There we go. Uh, in all good and evil news agents, priced just four pounds fifty. Terry White's here to talk us through the issue. This is exciting. 
this editor is... of Empire Suited Talks Through the Issue. What's Imagine in the cover, Terry? Uh, train spotting, or should I say, full title T2 train spotting. Um, so, this is something we've been excited about for a long time. It's one of those things, you know, the original was so loved by not only everybody in our office, but I think uh, pretty much all of our generation. I had it on my wall when I was a teenager. Me too. Um, I would always judge a man by if he had it on his wall. Um, <laughs> Uh, most of them fared well but it, when we heard they were doing a sequel it's it's always that fear that oh god please don't completely destroy it um, mm. and everything we've seen so far obviously the trailer drops maybe two and a half months ago has looked really really incredible so yeah we went on set and we spent time with all the cast and all the filmmakers and we are super 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 excited about this film we've got amazing new imagery incredible access world exclusive covers what more do you people want from us what more? How about a preview? Oh my God, Helen O'Hara. <laughs> that is such a good point. So, 2017 preview. Good segue. So smooth, right? Smooth, smooth. This almost killed everybody in the office. So, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there so that hopefully you realise the misery and joy and tears and sweat and pain that went into this. But we're so pleased to bring it to you because we have huge exclusives from every major TV show and film out next year, including Thor Ragnarok, we've got Logan, we've got War for the Planet of the Apes, we've got other things that I can't remember right Wonder now. Woman. <laughs> Wonder Woman. We, it's pretty much everything you need to know about everything you need to watch in 2017. And it truly is a work of beauty or wonder. And if you see Nick Dissemlian in the street over the next three weeks, if he looks like a man on the edge, that's because we drove him there. <laughs> to get this incredible feature. But I think we should talk about a feature done by the man to my right, which is, I think, one of the absolute standout things in the issue. Um, Chris, do you want to talk about the beautiful thing that you brought together? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so I'll just talk about myself for a little bit. A couple of months ago, I'm very lucky recently, uh, a couple of months ago, if you read the issue of Empire where we got Chris McQuarrie and William Friedkin together to talk about the French connection, and it was an epic, epic conversation that, that resulted in an epic, epic feature. Um, by the way, a version of that is going up on the website soon. So check check out the website, empireonline.com, for a longer version of that, uh, of that feature as well. Um, and we loved that so much, so we decided we want to do it again as often as we can, where we get uh, filmmakers that we love, and we ask them, which filmmaker do you love, and which film of theirs do you want to sit down with them and talk about? Um, we asked Edgar Wright that question, and he said, Walter Hill. And I want to talk to Walter Hill about The Driver. The Driver is a fantastic film. It is a car chase movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. It's amazing. And so last month I went to L.A. and I sat down with Walter Hill and Edgar Wright for about three hours and in, an, in a hotel room, in a hotel room in which the driver was shot. Whoa. In a hotel, rather. We, we know, it may not be the specific room, but uh, there's a scene with Isabella Gianni and Bruce Dern and Ryan O'Neill in the Western Bonaventura Hotel in L.A., and it's an iconic hotel. You know it if you see it. You know you drive past. It's got these incredible towers. There's been loads and loads of movies. True Lies being just one of them. Uh, and we we convened in that hotel, talked, and it's there in the magazine. Uh, Edgar and Walter having a good old natter about a great great film. Not just because not just this film, but also it feeds into Edgar's new movie Baby Driver, as well, which is also in the uh, in the preview and is one of the films I'm most excited about next year. Uh, that is a if I can force myself from it, a great feature as well, uh, but a great film. I'll hopefully do more of them in the future. 
Yes. Mm. I hope so too, Chris. Who's next, I wonder? <laughs> yeah. If you're Good. a filmmaker and you would like to take part <laughs> in this feature, do get in touch. I'm on Twitter. Email crystalfixit at empiremagazine.com. <laughs> That's not my email address. <laughs> That's not my email address. It was, but I had to change it. Uh, there's also other stuff in there. There's uh, there's a feature about a monster calls, which we're going to talk about soon. Um, in which I sat down with Juan Antonio Bayona and the effects geniuses behind the movie and Liam Neeson, and we talked about how you bring a 30 foot tall tree monster to life. Uh, also talked to Patrick Ness, the original author behind the the movie, and Jim Kay, the original illustrator as well. So that's that's a, a good feature to, to have a little look at. There's tons of other stuff in there as well. Viola Davis. Viola Davis, yes. So um, Ollie Richards went to LA and and spoke to Viola Davis, who's obviously got Fences coming out in February, um, Mm. which uh, I'm reviewing actually and will be in the next issue of Empire. And it's probably not a spoiler to say that I absolutely loved it. It's a remarkable performance from her and from uh, Denzel Washington. And she's somebody I think we've wanted to feature in Empire for a long time. She's just an absolute remarkable actor so yeah we went to LA we shot her big um, really interesting interview with her and she talks a lot you know she's been really candid about coming from true 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 poverty and and building this kind of life for herself and how as somebody from that life and from that background you get into Hollywood which is hard enough for a woman anyway never mind with the intersection of class so it's it's a really of class and race we should say so I think it's a really really um, interesting interview and then you interview Cameron Crowe for a Jerry Maguire feature which actually made me put down the copy and then go home and watch Jerry Maguire again it's hey. that good um, so I urge you all to read that it's absolutely one of the best Cameron Crowe interviews that I've read on on Jerry Maguire ever oh thank you now to do with me all to do with him he is awesome an awesome awesome guy uh, but that's it in the review section at the back there's loads of great stuff in there as well Noel Clark formerly of this podcast talks about brotherhood and the viewing guide we have a touching tribute to Gene Wilder in the masterpiece which is Young Frankenstein Edith Bowman is this month's member of the first take club which is uh, our shameless rip off of the Ram Album Club <laughs> uh, which people People watch films they haven't seen before for the first time. I'm really excited about next month as well. I won't give away who it is just yet, but I'm really excited about who it is. That's all I'm going to say for the time, be- uh, time being. Uh, the preview section's great as well. We've got uh, exclusive stories on A Cure for Wellness and Ghost in the Shell and Moonlight and Michael Sheen. Oh, yes. Gave it, up, giving up acting his pint to of, talk to you about yeah, arses. His, his pint of milk is... is um was a lot of fun and again not due to me entirely due, due to him but I mean his when we say that we're being slightly disingenuous we actually mean the credit is all ours don't we oh yes of yeah. course yeah obviously yeah. but but his uh, his his response to the question how hairy is your arse is, is really one for the ages <laughs> uh, and then of course there's the on screen section as well which uh, mops up all the films that are on the big screen and small screen as well and games too oh we haven't even mentioned John Wick chapter 2 there's so much inside the issue so much there's so much there's so much but I think the hard sell is now in its fourth hour so uh, <laughs> you should probably say that's it £4.50 all good and evil news agents great subscribers cover as well which oh it's gorgeous yes fantastic so um, we got Mr Brainwash who's an incredible uh, street artist based in LA uh, to basically just do a piece of art for us we sent him the pictures and said do what you like reimagine train spotting um in 2016 as it was then and he painted this on a wall in his studio there's um, an actually a picture of that in the issue and then we put it on the cover it's it's absolutely remarkable so now might be a good time to subscribe if you don't other bit of hard sell (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so there we go that's a hard sell and that is the movie news uh, which means now it's time for our first guest of the year uh, he's been everything from a teenage MD to the host of the Oscars he can sing he can dance he can do magic Ooh. Mm. and most of all he can act he is of course Neil Patrick Harris and he can soon be seen as nefarious Count Olaf in Netflix's adaptation of a series of unfortunate events the brilliant Lemony Snicket books uh, MPH was talking to JN John Nugent enjoy uh, Neil Patrick Harris, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Wonderfully, thank you. It's lovely to be in the UK. Yes, it's lovely to have you. Um, we're, we're obviously here to talk about uh, Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events. Indeed. <laughs> that's a little... That's my Olaf voice. That's your Olaf. Very yeah. nice. So, it's, yes. early, it's early yet. <laughs> <laughs> what do you need to get the Olaf voice? Does it take a, a few cigars or what's your Yes, chain-smoking, filterless cigarettes <laughs> all night long. Yeah. No, I actually did a fair amount of breathing exercises and things. I wanted his voice to be as Alan Rickman as possible. Right. Because, you know, he was, it's, a, it's a series, so inflection is important. Yes. So he talks very down here like this. <laughs> you need that sort of Rickman withering. Yeah. Yeah. This sort of talking over, over your nose, <laughs> down at children who are ignorant. <laughs> That's kind of what I did. It looks like you're having a lot of fun with this role. This seems like a role you can really just sort of enjoy. Was it a fun? Super fun. It was very intentionally arch. You know, it's from yep. the point of view of these kids who think, who witness adults being oblivious and ridiculous. So when you're the villain in that context, you can kind of chew at scenery and it's uh, it makes sense. And I liked the books. Uh, I liked that. Olaf is just villainous that there's no real redemption tale that there's it doesn't have to really be, be based in anything and then every two episodes I get to play a different character which is Olaf in disguise so I really got to kind of run the vocal gamut and run the sort of physical gamut of of re- ridiculousness <laughs> and it's just season one so yeah. if, if it catches on we get to do more of it yeah did you have a favorite of the characters you played? I mean, you you play quite a quite a range, let's say. Yeah, uh, I think Olaf was most fun because he was so disgusting, and yet <laughs> was convinced he was very very handsome. Right. So everything he said was how handsome he was and how successful he was, and yet in he was not at all handsome or successful. So that was kind of a fun juxtaposition to play. In the second two, I'm a guy named Stefano. And he talks like this. So everything was, uh, I was, had to shave my head bald and wore these thick glasses that made my actual eyeballs look really large. Uh, so I couldn't see anything. That was fun and weird and had a long beard. And then in the third two, I was, and we filmed them out of order. So I'm trying to think. I was uh, a woman, okay. Shirley, and she sort of was from the 1940s. So everything she said was really fast like this, see? I was channeling my inner Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. Sure. And that was fun and strange. I was not the first woman I had played in the last few years, so I was it was not too uncomfortable. And then the last, uh, the fourth book, I was a salty sea captain named Captain Sham. Right. And he was sort of, he kind of was a bit Sean Connery. Right. <laughs> Intentional wooden else. teeth. You know that sort of when you... The way it's like you've got dentures in, and you're worried they're going to come out. That sort of kind of, uh, uh, yeah. I'm, more, I'm not sure. So every, and he was very, 
he's a very sexual man. Right. He's trying to win count and win Josephine over so he can throw her out a window. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was Mel Blanc. Yes. Yeah. Full tilt. Uh, was part of the appeal of uh, taking this role the fact that you're a father? I mean, something like, hmm. say, Gone Girl. Uh, it's maybe not so appropriate for children. Oh, the kids loved Gone Girl. Yeah. yeah, they laughed and then they cried. Yeah. And they have a they lot of questions. <laughs> I don't answer them, no. Uh, I guess it was fun. I, 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 like, I like being able to play to multiple demographics, to be sure. honest. I've done Smurfs, which was more angled toward kids only. And I've done Harold and Kumars, which were angled more towards, you know, this sort of stoner set. And then I've done kind of mainstream How I Met Your Mother stuff, which was for larger groups. And I like that I'm able to do that and sort of be uh, accepted up inflection uh, by the different demographics simultaneously. So that was, I think that was good uh, for Netflix and good for me that it made sense on multiple levels. Yeah. I think our kids, are, our kids are only six, so I think they're a little bit young right. for the books are mainly for eight and nine and up. But they watched, they've been on set and they watched me in the makeup and hung out. So they watched the first two episodes. They had a cast and crew screening uh, in Vancouver and showed the first two episodes and the kids had a blast. So it's, it's, I talk about how dark it is um, mainly because I don't want people to think it's this really light kids fair um, and therefore not watchable because we went out of our way in a very Alan Rickman-y tone to be dark and and legitimately threatening but it's still for a younger viewer as well you know it's yeah. through the eyes of these 10 12 year olds and yeah it's interesting <clears throat> you say that because i noticed in the footage we've seen there's a few sort of quite sly self-referential jokes sure. which may go over the heads of a lot of kids you know but that's the best that's what i love about what jim henson was able to do with mm-hmm. muppets and sesame street is that kids could watch it on a on a singular level, and yet there were jokes that were clearly for adults that just kind of went over their heads. Mm. So I think this is hopefully something that people can watch together and that kids can get a laugh at and adults can get a laugh at in a different way. Yeah. There was, there was one joke I really enjoyed... Uh well, you say, as an actor, I think live theater is much better than say streaming, streaming television, <laughs> which is such a smart little little. Thing. We have a few Netflixy, yeah, r- r- self-referential kind of things in there. Yeah, I mean, you you obviously are an actor with experience in the theater. Do you would you are you do you agree with that sentiment? I don't do know. I think they all. Them? I think they all have pros and cons. Yeah. I think there was something really quite pure about filming this creatively. Yeah. Um. When you're, fi- when you're doing a television series, at least historically, it's been on a network television channel. And in America, those are, you're, you're answering to a lot of different masters. You have the studio that's producing it. You have the network that's purchased it. And then you have the advertisers that are paying the money to this network. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people that are cautious about you can't slap a child because there's a, a washing machine commercial and the washing machine company has paid a lot of money for that spot and they don't really want to be following a crying child rubbing his face, right? But on Netflix, it's a subscription service and so they don't mind that you're pushing those kind of boundaries. Okay. So I think you kind of get the best of all worlds on something like that. They let us, they gave us a nice budget to film this great 
piece creatively didn't meddle too much and i think therefore the the creative content is is more pure yeah it felt theatrical while we were doing it we didn't have to i remember we had a conversation because there's a character in the fourth book where uh that's named sir and he's the head of a lumber mill and he's you're not sure who he is but he's smoking like chain smoking cigars and you can never really even see his face that was kind of in the books that was sort of the bit is that he was covered in smoke and as i was reading it i was thinking is it, is it supposed to be olaf is he in disguise because why are we not able to see his face but then barry said is it going to be a problem with all the smoking because on tv shows you're not allowed to really smoke cigarettes anymore and they and Netflix had no problem with it. They said no, smoke oh. away. So it's just that's sort of the 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 ideology of them. Yeah, be free to smoke, free to smoke and slap children. It's, it's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to ask just quickly about Gonga. We mentioned this yeah. earlier. Um, it, that must have been quite a different experience in many ways to to Lemony Snicket. I don't know. Maybe maybe it wasn't. I, it was in many ways. Yeah, David yeah. Fincher. Well, in many ways it was similar. I think both. David Fincher and Barry Sonnenfeld share uh, share good attributes of being really effective directors and really aware of cameras and lenses and mm-hmm. have a strong vision visually and want that vision to be on screen. And that's, as an actor, fantastic because you trust that whatever notes they give or decisions that they make are for this larger idea that they have. As opposed to a newish director that's un- insecure and unsure and asking a lot of people what they think, then you have to th- be part of the process of creating it. But with Fincher, man, he was, he's made so many great movies. Mm. Fight Club and The Game. Mm. Remember that Michael Douglas movie, yeah, The yeah. Game? That was one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. And so I was just so happy to be in that sandbox and play and have him want me to be in his movie on any level. I would have walked in and done one line mm. if he'd have asked. And instead I got to, you know, have sex with the protagonist yeah. and have an untimely death. And it was fantastic. He was very specific and very, he wanted very little. He was, a, he wanted very little in, f- f- so in many ways it was very different because he wanted no facial movements. He wanted things to be very dry and and almost red herring in its lack of inflection. Yeah. So that it was almost you were uncomfortable in the in ways. Speaking of my character, was he the, a villain? Was he a good guy? You weren't sure. And if I'd have raised an eyebrow, an arched eyebrow, you would have thought, oh, he's a villain. And so he was very clear that he didn't want any of that. So we'd do take after take. And his notes to me would be just that. He'd say, Neil, um, let's do it again. Stop with the eyebrow. You're doing that eyebrow thing. <laughs> and I was barely doing anything. Yeah. But I'd say a line and then just give a little one eyebrow up thing. He didn't, he didn't want even, even want that. And I was fine with that. It was fun. He, had, he did a lot of takes. That was, I guess, another, another difference. Yeah. He's and very it, meticulous. It, yeah. We would do 30, 35 takes yeah. of a shot of driving to driving up. So Rosamund Pike and I would be in a car. I'd be driving. I'd back it up, go all the way in reverse, all the way down the, the street. And then we'd roll. And then we'd drive, 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 drive and pull up and get out of the car and then we get back in the car and we put it in reverse and we go back <laughs> like 35 times oh my god no dialogue yeah just a ton of times for this one shot 
But I kind of loved that because it made me feel like I was working with an artist, yes, a painter, a sculptor, right? And he wanted it to, he just, he had the time and the freedom to get it exactly right. Yeah. And if you know, once you've done 30 plus takes that he's, that he's happy, you're pretty sure that it's going to be a good shot. I mean, the proof is there on the screen, isn't it? I mean, I love that movie. I think it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, I did want to ask just quickly, I've, I think I've got to let you go soon, but uh, you've got another really fascinating project coming up called Downsizing. From yeah. Pain, yeah. Which sounds kind of like, how would you describe it? Maybe Honey, I Shrunk the Kids meets the Royal Tenenbaums? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Can I take that? Yeah, please do. What, I mean, what, what can you tell us about it? Because it's, it's still early days. Right? It is early days. Um, it sounds like it's much more science fiction-y than it is. It's played very much as if the... F- in the in the near future they've created the ability for people to um be downsized and become very very small and and what that accomplishes is is with very little money you can live very large because the house that you're living in can be built you can live in a mansion you can eat a ton of expensive food be, but you're not paying much for it because they only have to make this much lobster <laughs> that feeds you for a long time and so it's sort of a social question of if you didn't have a ton of resources would you be willing to downsize knowing that you couldn't then go back hmm. and i'm uh, i'm one of the downsized people encouraging the large human regular sized humans to uh to to take that journey it's a small part but alexander payne is amazing yeah he saw me in hedwig and the angry inch on broadway and then uh thought that it would be fun to have me do that and i got to work with laura dern who's very exciting she's amazing and i would work with him again in a heartbeat was it, I mean, was, was there green screen on this movie? He, Alexander Payne doesn't seem like the sort of director to use a lot of like CGI and uh, special effects. That is absolutely true on both counts. There was, there were, at least in what I was working on, there was lots of green screen, almost entirely green screen. Um, and it was a new medium for him. Hmm. Um, and I was at the very tail end of the production. So I know it was massive in its scale and he was still in in good humor um his back was hurting a bit but he was carrying a lot on his shoulders yeah so i can understand why but um yeah i'm excited to see how it turns out well, yeah we are we're very much excited to see when it does that well. come out no release date yet it may never come out it may never come fingers out. fingers crossed <laughs> sometime <laughs> okay. it happens well at some point in the <laughs> indeterminate future we look yeah. forward to seeing that yeah definitely. Uh, neil patrick harris thank you so much for your time cheers my pleasure Appreciate it Right, so that was uh, Neil Patrick Harris and uh, Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events is on Netflix on the 16th, I believe. Cannot wait. Very, very excited. I love those books. Those are, they're so funny. If you haven't read them, I do recommend them. But if you're buying them for small children, be aware that they'll probably hate them because they're too scary. Like really they small are. children. Yeah, they're quite dark. Medium-sized children will quite love them. dark. Uh, but it's time to cast an eye over this week's big releases, all of which are already out. Uh, they came out on New Year's Day. Let's start with A Monster Calls and Terry. 
So I saw a Monster Calls actually quite a few months ago and I absolutely... You've only just recovered. Yes, I swear to God. So I sobbed hysterically through through pretty much the last hour of this film. Um, and, you know, I think everybody pretty much knows the story, which is obviously this young boy, Connor, um, played by Lewis McDougall, who I will say right off the bat is a remarkable young actor. Oh, yeah. And it's very much, you know, him grappling with uh, mortality and grief. His mum, played by Felicity Jones, is ill. He has a distant grandmother, played by Sigourney Weaver, who, if you can get over her slightly confusing accent, is actually really good. Um, And a a distant father. And it's how, basically, he uses fantasy to come to terms with these very much these real-life events. Um, And uh, we have, obviously, the voice of this monster or this... It's a yew tree, right? It's a yew tree. Yeah. so he's visited by a monster, which is voiced by Liam Neeson. Remarkably, his voice is absolutely, its its it resonates. It will stay with you after this film. And it's very much, it doesn't kind of go into fantasy too much, which I think is, is really important because it's still a very human tale. And I actually think in terms of performances, Felicity Jones, for me, doesn't have much to do. She's, you know, she's very much playing the kind of ill mother and she's there to kind of help him on his journey. But I I think she's kind of either criminally underused or she just doesn't have the meat on the bones of this role to be able to do much with it. But as I say, Lewis McDougall, I think he is really the thing you come away from the film remembering. He gives, there's a certain scene towards the end, which when you see this movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He rips your your heart out it is something that if you do not have a stone for a heart water will come out of your eyes and you will be forever changed it, I think it's a, a, a real kind of core shaker emotionally uh, so yeah I hated it <laughs> <laughs> so one star from one, one star <laughs> half a star <laughs> We're just taking stars away from though. It's awesome. Uh, we gave a four, and I, I, I fully agree. I think Juan Antonio Bayona, uh, who we had in the podcast last for The Impossible, another film which which destroyed me mm. uh, after the orphanage, which terrified me, and also plucks at your heartstrings as well in an, in an interesting way. Um, but he's, I think he's a really interesting director visually. He's got great ideas. There are some animated sections of this movie Mm. um, which uh, may surprise people Uh, and it's a movie about storytelling and I think it's a movie about how we we tell ourselves lies to cope with uh, change and loss and grief Uh, amongst other things it's about growing up it's about it's about loss as well Uh, this is a a wonderful movie uh, based on a wonderful book a book that absolutely destroyed me if anyone if anyone has had uh, you know anyone in their life who's had cancer or if you lost parents or or whatever it is you know this book will really speak to you Uh, and this film really spoke to me as well and it's a a fantastic uh, achievement and I think it's a bit of a shame it's not really as far as I can see in the Oscar conversation and that's a surprise to me, I have to say. Yeah. I think it's a very weird race so far this year. I mean, we'll talk about this further down the line, mm. but it, it's an it's an it's odd what is being talked about and what is not at this moment, mm. I think. Yeah, it is a strange one. I think Lewis McDougall, especially if you know he's Scottish, so he's not only being brilliant, he's doing an accent, uh, is, is a great, great performance. Um, and I think everyone really delivers here. Uh, Liam Neeson as a tree something he probably hadn't done since he was an acting student (laughs) it's one of the first things you're asked to do isn't it be a tree (laughs) be a jelly be a sad tree be a happy tree I'll be a tree that calls people up and threatens to kill them no it's okay thank you but I don't know about you but I was really worried about how they were actually going to integrate the illustrations the illustrations are so remarkable Mm. and they've actually you know they've 
kind of reproduced them as they were by Jim Kay and they they are done so well and I was worried about the CG and how it would actually all stitch together visually. I think it's such a huge complex task and this is something you get into in in your feature in terms of how they visually realise this on the screen. I think it's so, so well done and it's so intelligently done that just from a pure visual perspective it's a real treat. Absolutely. And I'm very excited to see what Bayona does next. He's directing, of course, Jurassic World 2 or whatever that movie ends up being called. So exciting Jurassic stuff. Universe. Jurassic Universe. <laughs> Which will also destroy your emotions and hurt your heart. <laughs> but but literally. Yeah. I hope it is Liam Neeson as a tree. I really do. That would be amazing. Um, uh, a tree rex, if you will. Oh. oh. Come on. No. Come on. Four stars for that joke and four stars also for <laughs> a Monster Calls. Okay, next up we have Liam Neeson, as you've never seen it before, again, in Martin Scorsese's uh, long-awaited passion project, alongside, of course, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield. It is silence. It is, and uh, as the wits no, on hell, Twitter have been saying... Come on. Yeah, very funny. Uh, as the wits on Twitter have been saying, uh, what idiot failed to call this apostatize now? Um, because it is a, a story that bears a little bit of resemblance to that Francis Ford Cobbler classic, but at the same time, none whatsoever. Uh, it's based on a 1960s uh, Japanese novel written by a Japanese Catholic, and it chronicles the story of uh, two Portuguese priests who travel to six, uh, sorry, early 17th century Japan. Now, at the point when they go, Japan has closed its borders to all foreign priests because all of these priests came in and with their usual sort of colonial arrogance, tried to travel around the world converting people to the cause. Uh, Jesuits, interestingly, have a huge history of, like, Exploration because they try to be the first people in to convert everybody to Catholicism before anyone else gets there. Um, they were the first people on Twitter as well. There you go, you see. Um, so the, <laughs> there's a lot of, genuinely, there's a lot of books about Jesuits in space as a result of this. <laughs> anyway, yeah, not kidding. It's a whole subgenre. Um, well, you just you just talk, I'll Google. It's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> so uh, so uh, our, our heroes, if that is the right word, and it may not be, uh, are played by Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. And they are two young, idealistic priests who are sent to Japan partly, or, or really send themselves to Japan, partly to obviously continue the efforts of the church there and to minister to Japanese Catholics, but also to find out what happened to their mentor, who is, of course, Liam Neeson's character. Now, the story is... Uh, back in Manila where the church has a base the story is that he has apostatized which means to renounce God to you know to spit on the symbols of the faith and to kind of give up your faith and they can't believe that this is true this is a guy who was their mentor who was their inspiration how could he possibly have done this so they go off to not only sort of um help, as I say, the, the, the Japanese Christians, but also to find out what happened uh, to Liam Neeson's character. And they, f- they find themselves basically strangers in a strange land and, a, and a, a very hostile one in some ways in that the authorities are looking for them. They're seeking for anyone still practicing Christianity in, in, in secret. Um, and in particular, of course, they're looking for priests, uh, but also a, a land that is, that is quite warm and welcoming because the, the Japanese Christians are obviously... Overjoyed to meet these people, to see these people, to have someone to actually sort of properly minister to them, and uh, as they see it, so it sets up this some really fascinating, genuinely fascinating questions about faith and about uh, religion and about the and about cultural imperialism and so on as well. Because the Japanese have a very good argument that there is no place for this religion in their society; that it is arrogant of Westerners to come in here and try and impose these beliefs on people, and that it is not doing those people any real good in their lives. Uh, all good, you know, good arguments that that the film makes as well, and. 
the silence of the title is basically the silence of God in the face of all this. Like, you know, okay, these people believe, they're willing to die for their beliefs, so what are they getting back? Is there any kind of sign in return? Is there any word of of comfort or or safety in return? Um, And through pretty horrendous tortures and pretty terrifying danger, these, these guys are basically trying to, I don't know, live what they see as the right way forward, which is also true of the Japanese authorities. So it's a really, it's a complicated and an interesting and a fascinating story. And it's worth remembering that the novel was written by a Japanese Catholic and he himself feels that sort of tension between the two sides of his his belief. And I think it's really, it's definitely Scorsese's most theological story and maybe even more so in some ways than The Last Temptation of Christ, but certainly since then. Mm-hmm. Um, beautifully, beautifully shot, all in sort of colours of mist um, of course you'd expect from that cast very very well acted um, the Japanese cast at least as good as the as the Westerners if not a little bit more so in a couple of cases and it feels like a pet project it feels like it, it does yeah I mean I think he's been can, trying to make this film for years yeah it's 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 the kind of film you can see why it wouldn't have been a sort of commercial obvious uh, attraction this is not a sort of Scorsese kind of uh I was going to say feel good, but that's not the right word. But, you know, that sort of large, swaggering kind of Scorsese movie, Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas are the kind of the epitome of that. This is absolutely at the other end of his spectrum. It's quite slow at times. It's lengthy. It's very internal. It's very theological. Um, but I did find it fascinating. I think it's I think it's wonderfully, wonderfully done. Fantastic. So, yeah, four stars. Four stars us. also. Yeah. Four stars also for silence. Uh, and last but not least... This week we have the video game adaptation Assassin's Creed Vendor which stars Michael Fassbender as a man who discovers he has the power to bend faces or something I'm not is entirely that, sure that, I, I, think that that's, right? I think that's, that's right That's not actually I'm pretty sure that's right that isn't, There is no bending of facets. Set me right Blanco uh, This is of course the adaptation of multiple uh, games from Ubisoft uh, The Assassin's Creed games have been around for a few years now and they have several versions of it in different time periods of history The basic idea is that there is a huge war that's been raging essentially in secret between the Templars who believe that uh, humanity needs guidance, uh, in many ways dictatorship. They need to be controlled and they need to have their free will taken away to stop violence, which sounds good, but also sounds a bit like, you know, evil. And uh, the assassins, who are a secret uh, coven sort of guild who've been sworn to fight this uh, dastardly plan and to thwart it, and this war has been going on for centuries. And uh, drawn into this is a guy named Callum Lynch, played by the aforementioned Mr. Fassbender, Mm -hmm. who is basically... He's been on trial for murder, and he's basically executed, but then saved and brought to this facility, where it is revealed that his ancestor, a man named Aguilar, was part of the assassins way back during the Spanish Inquisition. Fassbender, of course... Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) And Chris has just stepped on my joke. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I had a whole thing, and he's ruined it. And, All my uh, chief weapons are a fear and surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and a nice red uniform. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget the comfy chair. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so he is hooked up to a machine called the Animus, which sounds like Mickey Mouse's robotic <laughs> cousin. And he is basically 
they use something called genetic memory, which can project sort of images of the past, and he can basically embody his uh, ancestor uh-huh. uh, and can see and hear and feel, which isn't great if you're falling off buildings and doing stuff, everything that his uh, ancestor sees. And it's all in the service of trying to find this, let's call it a MacGuffin, the Apple of Eden, which looks <laughs> like a metal tennis ball and glows. <laughs> Uh, which apparently is supposed to be able to uh, basically remove free will from humanity. What? So, yeah. So And there's a, there is an awful lot of running and jumping around. So really, this is theological as well. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's a very <laughs> theological section. Wow. And, can I just uh, say, well, congratulations on making sense of that storyline. Well done. Thanks. Because you've yeah. achieved that in a way it's, that arguably the filmmakers. I was just going to say, I've seen this and about 70% of that was complete news to me. So (laughs) I've learned something. Yeah, you've you've enlightened me. That is, is, frankly, a bit of a key problem with the film. There is an awful lot of exposition. Many of Marion Cotillard, who is co-starring, again, with Fassbender after Macbeth, is basically her sitting in a chair saying things about the Animus (laughs) and the the Assassins and the Templars and things like that. it's directed by Justin Kurzel, who made Macbeth with Fassbender and, mm-hmm. uh, and Cotillard. And he has done some good stuff in the past, particularly. There is a lot of sort of parkour action that fans of the games will recognise. There's a lot of, you know, sort of standing on roofs and putting your arms out and then leaping off them, which looks really dangerous. But if you're an <laughs> assassin, fine, obviously you're fine. You're fine. They can all do that. They they don't break their legs or anything. It's good. And uh, yeah, and there's there's a lot of sort of running around there's a lot of practical action a lot of practical stunts which is really well pulled off it's just wrapped around that is a whole extremely mysterious and slightly dour script where everybody is sort of we must fight for the future of humanity give glory to the future and this sort of thing and yeah it doesn't all really work so if you were hoping that this would be the video game adaptation to break the legendary curse (laughs) not so much yeah we shame. had really real hopes this time last year. Mm. We thought Warcraft or this was going to be the one. Well, we're still waiting to get over three stars for a video game adaptation. Hey, what did this get? Three stars. Three stars. Oh, there you go. Three stars. I think yeah. visually there were real moments of of flourish, and mm. I think it, there's there's as you say a lot of the practical action, a lot of the parkour. There are moments of where you can just visually kind of really enjoy and immerse yourself in the film. But yeah, I think um, just from a, I I kind of lost the thread two thirds of the way through, and and that was very difficult to kind of uh, make sense of after that point. Not knowing much about the games, it always seemed to me that they should have just gotten rid of the modern sections and just had assassins. You wouldn't be far wrong. Yeah, I think I, I, for me, it doesn't really make sense. The stuff that happens in the f- pre- present doesn't seem to affect the past in any way. It's just a bit of a missed opportunity for me. Um, Fastbender's fine. Everyone's fine. It's just it, it feels like it's a movie that needs to smell the roses once in a while and just remember that you can smile. You got Fastbender, you know, who with his evil teeth has one of the best smiles. <laughs> In movies, he has and evil teeth. It's a Lauren Laverne thing. She's uh, she huh. calls his uh, teeth evil teeth, and she thinks that men with evil teeth are very sexy. Uh, right. Michael Fassbender being sexy is a weird, I mean, that, weird that, that out much, there yeah. idea. It's, I'm kind Nobody of, I'm, but, yeah. that. but he's got one of the best smiles in movies, and you know, in this movie, I think mm-hmm. he smiles once, and it's very ironic and bitter. But and also, and I won't give anything away, but this is a one of the a spate of movies that doesn't wrap up a story in the first film. 
and basically turns to the audience at the end and goes see you in the next time <laughs> yeah not so much just get it right get it right this first time and then create the appetite for the second one don't assume the appetite anyway three stars hey three stars uh, three English stars for Assassin's Creed that is his real name uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast uh, join us next week for more film related fun when we'll be joined by Michelle Williams who is here to discuss her new film Manchester by the Sea uh, until then Terry loved that until then <laughs> So much so that it was a silent laugh, <laughs> which works really well on a podcast, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know what works on the podcast, honestly. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Terry. How did you enjoy your first time? I loved it. Yeah? Thank you. Not can I come problem. back? Of course you can come back. Thanks. Absolutely. Uh, it's goodbye from Terry. Goodbye. It's goodbye. It's goodbye from Blanco for another year. See you next year, everybody. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Probably. Presumptuous. <laughs> yeah. Harsh. <laughs> We I'll pay. Dead. I promise I'll pay. <laughs> uh, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to beg forgiveness from Randy Couture for not remembering his name. You better. He's a He's big tough. guy. He could beat me with his ears. I mean, all of them could. Yes, yeah, true. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>